Commodities is another, which is when you're sounding like everybody else in your industry, or you're sounding like everybody else uh, in your in your marketplace, uh, and that's too much lingo, too uh, too many acronyms, too much product focus, and and there it tends to show up as a differentiation issue. Our margins are suffering. We're losing out uh, when we get to the final round from uh, from an RFP or something along those lines. We're getting commoditized, and that's a we can fix that with our messaging and, and what we say and how we position ourselves. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship at growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here, and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business, and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Oh, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now, joining me to talk business growth and to help out a fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat is someone with an expertise in helping businesses to break through the noise and grow through more effective and consistent customer conversations. Now, this is something that 100% I see as a huge challenge as too many professionals today, they're missing out. They have a lot to offer, but their messaging, it just isn't right or they lack enough of the uh, messengers to share it or the entire process seems unimaginable. So I guess if this sounds like you, make sure that you're listening closely to the solutions that we're going to bring up today, because uh, my guest is going to be sharing the strategies that are built on years of success as a consumer researcher, award-winning corporate market leader, and now consultant, speaker, and coach to businesses ranging from startups to the Fortune 500. He's also the author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business, and the host of the Manage Your Message podcast. And seriously, this is one of my personal favorite topics, and I honestly believe it is a huge growth lever when you nail it. So I'm really, really looking forward to this one, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, Jim Carr, to the show. Jim, how are you doing? I am well, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be with you with this audience because I know we're all interested in the same things and trying to solve for a lot of the same challenges. Yeah, and and we've had a, a couple of conversations um, leading up to this, and uh, we won't go into my major faux pas, not just once, but twice. Um, in fact, no, I'm going to own it, Jim. I am going to own it. We had a couple <laughs> of uh, uh, setups before, didn't we? And I 
my, oh, my, my Adam, computer died and all the rest of it. But and, and, and everyone, you know, you get this wonderful podcast product uh, here. Uh, and, and I am a podcast host, as you mentioned as well. There is so much messy sausage making behind the scenes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I am, I'm just, I'm grateful that we've uh, managed to get this set up. And um, yes, that you uh, are, are, are forgiving of my faux pas because Anyone that knows me, I, I hate the whole, I, I'm very punctual. I don't like being late. I don't, and, and not just to do it once, to do it twice. So this is going to be fun. And I don't know, maybe there's, you know, when it, when it comes to sort of thinking about um, sort of business growth and, and what you do, where would you say is, I mean, I, I referenced it there with the, the, the biggest growth level or a huge growth level when it comes to your message. Do you feel that when, people think business growth. Do you think that that is up there as one of the big levers or do you think that for some reason it sort of falls, you know, back down the queue? It can seem, I believe, Adam, very mysterious. I think at a gut level and at a professional level every day, just in terms of how to talk about our business, how to differentiate ourselves, you think the tactics of which questions should I ask and listening skills, which stories should I share? How can I bring insights? How can I talk about things that are technical, maybe to a non-technical buyer? All of these things together exist under this big, messy, foggy, mysterious category of messaging. And so what I find with B2B sellers and with entire organizations is let's just break this down. Because I find, and maybe this is a good way to, to frame all of this out, there's an enormous opportunity, and then there's an enormous chronic problem that's getting in the way of growth. Here's the opportunity is that frankly, most even very good B2B sellers aren't very good at this. They're not really good at strategically managing the conversation. And as we can get to this, there's both science and practice that tells us why. It's a lot of it is the fault of our brains and our habits and, and uh, things that we've been told over time. But there's an enormous opportunity here. You can get substantially more growth and higher margins and shorter time to deals and less frustration without having to change your pricing or your business model or your distribution or even the people on your team or in your business. What you have to figure is how do we strategically manage what comes out of people's mouths? Are we getting the right conversations in the first place? How do we lead a buyer or prospect through those? So there's an enormous opportunity that really just takes a little thought and some time and some intention about it. And here's the chronic problem. And this is something, uh, Adam and everyone, I've felt it in my gut as both a practitioner and as a consultant and coach in a lot of different companies, putting this, uh, putting sales messaging playbooks together, training systems, all of that, is this is an area where I find that even really good sellers or people who have really solid offerings, they struggle. They're, they're, they're not confident. They fall back into things I just know aren't effective. I was speaking not long ago with um, a fellow named Tim Pollard. He's a very good uh, messaging expert. And, uh, and he and I were talking about this very issue. He had done a survey of some B2B sellers. And they tend to be in more technical or higher value solutions, longer selling cycles, higher margins. And he, he asked this group of a couple of hundred B2B sellers, two questions on the same scale. And I think you'll find this really striking, Adam. The, the scale was confidence level, one to 10. 
one being not at all confident, 10 being highly confident. The first question is how confident are you in the value of what you offer? And in general, the, the average was a little more than eight on a one to 10 scale. So we know that nothing is perfect and it's the right fit, the right buyer, the right implementation. But mm -hmm. overall, what they're selling is solid and they recognize it as being solid. They also ask, what is your confidence in the messaging behind what you sell? The average answer was less than four. Now, that's a tremendous gap. You think of more than eight to less than four on a one to 10 scale. So Adam, what happens? Yeah, so what happens for the, a seller or a selling team or an organization if you lack confidence in what to say or what to ask or what to show? Well, I find a couple of things happen. Neither of them are good. The first is that you avoid the conversation. If you think you're going to get asked a question that you don't know the answer to, or that you'll look bad or stumble all over yourself, then you won't be proactive in terms of sharing your value or prospecting. The, the other bad thing that can happen is you can fall into some uh, poor, inefficient patterns. We fall into the familiar. We talk about our products and our services rather than about the customer. We talk about ourselves too much just because we know it better. We, that's our comfort zone. So mm. the, the things we can talk about today and the, the problem that I can help solve is let's break this down, get away from that undertow. Uh, you talk a lot about fishing, so we can talk about rip currents and undertows and things like Absolutely. that of what's working against you. And, and so that you're consistently good at customer conversations and can stand out that way. Well, I mean, this is, I think, as I mentioned in the intro, this is, this is a subject that is, is very close to me. And, and you mentioned the, sort of the, you know, the fishing thing, my entire business is built around that ethos, that, that metaphor of, of you really deeply need to understand your, your client or your customer. If you are going to be able to create the the messaging, the marketing, the assets, that kind of thing that are going to be actually successful uh, to be to be able to be deployed as that law, as that bait, as whatever you know we want to call it, but you need to really understand that that client or that customer first, because I often say at the end of the day, your client or your customer is ultimately your boss because they pay the bills at the end of the day. So you have to sort of really, really understand their world, their worldview, what an average day looks like, the struggles, the problems, the desires, the frustrations, all of that kind of thing, and then wrap it up in a, in, in a message that you are able to not just individually, but organizational wide be able to deliver consistently because there's no point in, in one person having the greatest message in the world, whereas you know, 200 other people in your firm deliver something different. Before I go into some of it, I, I, I guess one of the, the, the key things that maybe people are that are listening could be asking themselves, what do we mean by messaging? And how would you define it? Because, you know, are we talking your elevator pitch? Are we talking your, you know, headline that you write? Are we talking what you put on a business card? Like, what is messaging? That's, um, Adam, it's an excellent question. And it's not... And by the way, everyone, it's uh, oftentimes when people are guests or they're you know, podcast hosts and they'll say, that's an excellent question because they're trying to think of, of an answer. Now, that really is an excellent <laughs> question. It's a fundamental one. And we break this down, and especially as we think about B2B sellers and sales organizations or anyone who owns revenue and customer relationships. So there's a whole side of things that kind of fall under messaging, which is my marketing piece as a former CMO. But I think that marketing is a lot of positioning. So do we have the right 
value proposition. We have the right awareness and understanding in the marketplace that we defined our personas, our ideal buyers, our customer base. Um, sometimes it's, it's down to generating specific leads and owning that part of it. Sales is more about individual conversations. I'm thinking about a deal with a buyer or a set of buyers for a thing within a time frame. So it starts getting far more specific. So that is my focus of, of taking the positioning. And sometimes I help clients with that positioning, but oftentimes we take that as a given. And we look at certain conversations and certain use cases or certain offerings and, and really building the right sorts of conversations. I would look at it at that level. To back up just a step though, Adam, here's what's not messaging, or at least what doesn't work. Always a good way Sales to messaging at. is your mission statement or your vision statement. Um, and it frankly isn't your passion either. Not that that's not important in driving our own behavior, but frankly, most buyers don't care. They care about their passions. And um, I, one little bit of research when I was uh, uh, doing background on the book, there was one brave soul who, who examined several hundred corporate mission statements and was looking for commonalities. I couldn't do that, but I was really grateful that someone had gone through that research. And they found, I examining, again, several hundred, that there were about a dozen words that were present in almost all of them. And they, they're, they're all the same. And they're, they're committee decisions. And they've been probably produced after 18 months of endless meetings. And so there's this word salad about sustainability, customer community, inclusiveness, blah, 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 blah. And not that that isn't sincere. I'm sure it's sincere, but it also is undifferentiating. When you're saying exactly the same thing as everyone else, then your message actually is working against you. You're commoditizing yourself. So we want to break free from that point. So your message is not your mission or vision uh, or your, your individual passion. Um, the, the marketing, the positioning piece is there. But I, I think, especially when it comes to B2B sales and generating revenue and growing your business, let's think about a few key conversations, whether you're selling net new and you're finding new logos and new customers, or you take a look at this and say, I have lots of things to offer my existing customers that are only buying a few. So I want to cross sell better. I want to use maybe my quarterly business reviews and, or, or ongoing conversations with the people who already are buying from me to sell them more, to sell them higher, uh, higher price, higher value offerings. Take that strategy and you can probably boil it down to a few key conversations. Who's on the other side? Then Again, from my standpoint, that's where the focus would be. How do we get more of those meetings, make sure that we've set the agenda and the expectations in the right way, and then it becomes down to what do we say and show and do and ask and share in those conversations. And how much of it do you think actually comes from the business or from you know, the mouth of babes, for one of another way you're saying it, which is, is actually the voice of the customer? Because it's interesting that you spend you know, you spend a lot of time looking at the the sales conversation and all the rest of it. And you talk about the marketing being a, almost a given. What I found is that the companies that do this really well, they integrate the two because they actually allow, they, they have the sales conversations feed the marketing positioning and the messaging, because let's be honest, the people that actually have the most contact with the client or the customer is not the guys in marketing. 
unless you do something which I think most more more companies should do, which is spend time on the sales floor or actually spend time talking with the clients. You know, but marketers don't like to do that because they went to marketing and not sales. But it's it's it, when you have that sort of synergy between a sales department or a sales team and your marketing team and you start to hear those conversations or the sales team feeds back i had a conversation with you know 10 clients or 10 prospects this week and these are some of the things that kept coming up but we don't have this in our marketing we need something to feed into the marketing to be able to deal with this kind of conversation a lot more that's when i see businesses really start to to see the results that they're really after it's when the two are combined and working together is that an experience that you've seen as well absolutely adam almost every single time and so that means that organizationally and in when we're we're making an intention here of we're going to have more effective selling conversations we have to break through those walls um, even from the very top so oftentimes let's say i'm uh putting together a, a messaging playbook for a for a corporate client and we're going to break this down. So sometimes the the sponsor of that might be the C-suite, might be even the CEO, or uh, could Before be. Before you CRO. go on, do you want to define what a messaging playbook is in sure. case of someone listening that wouldn't really necessarily know that term? Absolutely. And the the nomenclature, the title, could be different. But so just think of it this way: oftentimes you might have an executive or a sales leader or or anyone saying, "Why can't we get on the same page?" Well. What should be on the page or pages? It would be some common source of conversational truth. Like what are the best practices in terms of where we're going to focus with an ideal customer or ideal client profile? What would be uh, target buyer personas or people? Uh, what are our good assumptions about them? What are some of the things that we might bring up if we're speaking to different business scenarios or use cases, breaking down that conversation? So it, it would tend to have conversational nuggets, recommended questions to ask how to deal with certain objections or if there are certain stories that would be relevant to that particular conversation or that particular person. And we can talk in some detail about what that is. I think it's you, you put that together in, in little bite-sized modules that fit the needs of sellers who want something that's not in a giant repository someplace or in the portal or a, a stack of or a digital stack of collateral that no one uses after a while. They don't even know what's updated and what isn't. So mm -hmm. you get something that's at the ready and that represents the best practices, as you say, from people who are out doing it, what we're hearing from customers. So even to get that tends to be a solution uh, or approach that works well for the problem that you just said. And I just want to point out, uh, there was an article, it was a Harvard Business Review piece just a few years ago that asked a number of big company CEOs to track their time. And they did it through their administrative assistants. Uh, so they did it in very precise increments over a period of about three months. Adam, what they found, and this was, I believe the word in the article was horrified. The CEOs <laughs> themselves were horrified to learn that they spent 3% of their time with customers. Mm -hmm. So at the very high level um, of executives, because they have so many other things, they're just not exposed to the front lines. So they may be trying to figure out what is marketing doing? Well, how's our lead gen working? Why are we not closing things? How are our salespeople spending their time? So to your prop, the, the CEO is unlikely to have customer contact marketing is likely to have more but 
but probably not that much. Uh, and, and you're right, the salespeople uh, are, are right there. They know what's getting traction. They know the questions, the objections that are coming back. So we want to capture that in some guide in some playbook in something that that can be iterative so we can continue to get better so when people know what is the best way adam i finally got a, a meeting with that vp of finance it's next tuesday what am i supposed to say <laughs> then uh then you have something that that um, is very helpful in that regard and you can really get the best practices what so is what you're talking about this is this is something that would apply organizational wide and it means that the conversation or at least what you're what you're saying and, and you know the messaging behind what you're going to present or have that conversation around is going to be consistent therefore it's actually a really smart approach because if you're i i, I had a the, the i think it was today actually the um the episode that went live, we had the conversation and one of the, and the challenge was about hiring their first salesperson. And one of the things was if, if, if what you're trying to look for is an A class player, then you're going to need to be an A class business, but you don't necessarily need that A class salesperson. If you have something like you've said there, like a playbook that allows people to understand very quickly, even if they haven't necessarily had the experience of going through a conversation with that type of potential client before. These are the things that are important to this client. These are the kind of issues that these type of companies or type of client will face on a daily basis. And these are the sore points. These are the likely objections they're going to have, et cetera, et cetera. And that means that anybody can prepare much more efficiently than if they just sort of go, oh, I've got a meeting, right? Now I'm going to go and have a chat. That's exactly right. And it gets to that that issue that you spoke about is that marketing and sales need to be aligned better in in knowing what to say and what to ask and our, all the way from what we're putting on the website and our thought leadership pieces to the specific things we show in a meeting, how to run a demo, or, uh, the, the dreaded capabilities deck. Please don't do that. But but it exists <laughs> the out there. That we used to call it back in the day. Yeah, they're terrible. Um, and and so. You have to, uh, if you're a leader or a high performer, you want that. You want uh, something that's going to guide your behavior so you're not wasting time, you're not missing out on opportunities, and you're standing out from the competition. Oftentimes when we put these things together, whether you want to call it a playbook or, or a guide or whatever that case might be, and we're workshopping some of the content, so I'll bring in the people uh, from, from marketing. It may be uh, high-performing salespeople. Maybe it's a new hire. So someone we're trying to get a, a different kind of perspective. Sometimes it may be a product expert or operations, whomever is important in that conversation. And it it's very, uh, even when we weren't uh, virtual at uh, quite the degree that uh, today people would get together and go, oh, Adam, I've heard your name around here for about three years, but we've never had a conversation. <laughs> so people are learning things even internally that they didn't know. Um, it becomes, uh, again, this is something to solve for. The, the, the issues that I think benefit the, the symptoms, if you will, in the business, in your growth plans that indicate this could be an approach to work, or you certainly need to get a handle on your messaging, however that might be, is I describe them, Adam, as crickets, 
commodities and cowboys. So crickets is basically the, the crickets are chirping. And uh, here in the States uh, on, a, on a summer night when there's not much happening, you can hear the crickets chirping. And uh, that just means growth is hard to come by. Your opportunities aren't there. Prospecting isn't going well. Things aren't coming in inbound. And so that tends to be an issue where you don't have enough messengers. And you hit on it a, a few minutes before, Adam, you were saying, hey, maybe we have a big sales team, but there are a couple of people who do this well and everybody else kind of struggles. That you can't scale that. And it's hard to find enough growth opportunities. Things fall between the cracks. And I can't get Adam for that meeting next Thursday. I, I will try to reschedule. And you're essentially subsidizing the rest of the team with two rainmakers, which just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It, you're, you're not going to grow as quickly as you could, and you're all you're vulnerable to those people leaving and uh, and taking their portfolio relationships with them. So if uh, crickets is one, commodities is another, which is when you're sounding like everybody else in your industry, or uh, you're sounding like everybody else uh, in your in your marketplace, uh, and that's too much lingo, too uh, too many acronyms, too much product focus, and and there it tends to show up as a differentiation issue. Our margins are suffering. We're losing out uh, when we get to the final round from uh, from an RFP or something along those lines. We're getting commoditized. And that's a we can fix that with our messaging and, and what we say and how we position ourselves. The final piece the is the Cowboys. messaging, just before you go on to that last one, Yes, thinking about things like RFPs or, or anything like that, effective messaging sometimes can just get you in the door in the first place, or it can sometimes jump the queue completely. So that's Another example of, of, I think, the leverage potential in getting a powerful message, because if you can have that conversation and it's, it's done in the right way with these sorts of playbooks, then maybe you don't get put in that pool and you're not commoditized with every other fisherman trying to catch the, the same uh, small handful of fish. You are literally going to be there shooting fish in a barrel. Like it's, it, like, I don't think people always completely grasp the growth and leverage potential in in this so i'm uh, yeah i have to i have to sort of pull it out sometimes and and really sort of say it is everything because it's not just what you say it's the reasons why you say it and why it matters to the other person and then it's what that can happen what is the potential outcome what is the consequence of getting it right and i say consequence and you think bad but no consequence is a good thing when you get this right so your third piece well, let me just agree with, uh, as you said there, and we can we can break that down a bit as well, but your message is really associating you with a compelling problem that needs solution. And so when you, when you are the answer to that, when I need this, when so-and-so happens, we find themselves in this circumstance that Adam or whomever is the choice, that that's our first choice and not just another fill in the blank. The other part that organizationally happens, it's the third leg of this three-legged stool, uh, is, is cowboys. So here in the States, you know, we think about the cowboy mentality, which is great in many ways. It's a get-it-done, autonomous, independent spirit. But we see that a lot in sales teams, right? When people want to do things their own way. And we get that. We have to respect that. And there's some people who are good storytellers and they're active prospectors and they really get it. They have a great relationship, but they don't want anybody telling them to do things otherwise. And, and then we get into 
as you say, we have a team of a few high performers. They're the president's club members. They're the ones that everyone knows is great. And everyone else might struggle a bit. And the, whether it be the sales leadership, the revenue leadership, the executive leadership, they value consistency more than they do a, a few cowboys. And it's hard to be consistent if there's not some way to take some of the insights, some of the best behaviors of your high performers and as it can help raise the floor for everyone else. And as you have the new person coming in, right? So you could do this. This can happen in a tribal sporadic way as you're hiring your new salesperson. Well, who do they need to talk to to figure out what they're doing? Well, we'll have them over here and, and talk to Adam, but yeah, and Adam doesn't have time. Adam's doing his own thing. Or you can be very intentional about this and say, we do need to, to get our plan, our playbook together. That also gives us something we can coach to. We can, we can do certifications, we can role play, we can practice together and get better at this so that we do have more consistency across people and also across channels. So if we're the, the things that are on our website or in the demo are also making them into individual conversations, whether they're happening in person or online. So we don't have to have perfection, Adam, but if, we can, if you can bring together your message, your messengers and management, the management habits that will bind this together, then you have something that is consistent and it's pointed and you will stand out that way. But so that th there is the marketing versus sales gap that exists, but I think it's even a larger picture of thinking through of how, what, how do we talk about ourselves? How do we get more people involved in that? Which by the way, includes your current customers, includes other people who can bring opportunities to you. It's not just internal. And then what can we do for, as management habits for coaching and socializing and building confidence with the whole team over time? And when you think about it as well, what you're talking about building, it's, it's all of what you said ultimately it comes down, you're building an asset within a business. And that asset that you're building is that repeatable process. It's, it's the understanding of a client that, that will iterate and continue and all the rest of it. That's IP, that becomes valuable. And if you are a company that is looking to raise capital, sell in the future, all that kind of thing, this becomes incredibly valuable. And it's, it's something that you can add to your actual you know, value of a company, your bottom line, that kind of thing. It's also something that becomes a hidden asset in a business. Because if you spent all the time and all the rest of it creating this kind of thing, then you can think about licensing this sort of thing out to similar companies that serve the same type of industry and all that kind of thing. You are not just building an asset to sell within. If you really think about it, the power of messaging and, and what connects with other human beings it is an asset that you can then multiply and scale. And there are, you know, it's just something that popped into my head, but a lot of people don't think about it in this way. And they don't see the opportunity, the investment of this, you know, in time and development and all the rest of it. It is, it is well worth it because not just the obvious reasons. So I, I just sort of wanted to, I mean, is, is that something you've ever seen happen or have I completely gone off, you know, on one of my ADHD tangents? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a very good tangent, if it is. And, and to your point, a, a given guide or a playbook, and, and that's what I do on the consulting side, uh, is typically working on those with a team. But there are, there 
they're well tailored, Adam, is for a particular conversation. And so it's and it's typically something that's new or changing that everyone needs to get their their arms around to to some extent. So one playbook will look different. Some may be for a particular solution, right? Some may be for a use case. Some may be we need to tell a better enterprise story so people understand the totality of what we bring. As you were talking there, I was reminded of another example, which is is uh, a bit different. This was a, a, a startup and, and they had a better mousetrap. In their case, it's in a, a cybersecurity uh, appliance. And, but they didn't have their own sales team. They had really good product people and they had this thing that they knew it worked. Well, we got that story straight, but they needed scale to be able to go out and, and have the conversations with potential buyers and, and to actually sell. So they had an arrangement with a big existing sales force that, uh, that sold other things. Their sales force of several thousand people had ne never had in their portfolio anything on cybersecurity. Ooh. So what we need to do is actually think of two conversations. Mm. What is the conversation that we want these people who really don't know us and really don't know the technology, but have these relationships, we need them to have just enough knowledge, skill, and confidence where they can set the meetings, find the opportunities, and then we can sell together. And then, mm. then backing up a little bit of getting our story straight of how do we feed that system? So That's a beautiful just thinking example. through, yeah, what what really is as we as we said before, what's the conversation that you need to have? What would make for a home run in terms of having those? And then let's get that won't happen on its own because that's you, that's you know, that's that sort of leverage thinking as well. Because yes. a lot of people in that situation would just think, oh, well, I've got to go and build my own team and all the overhead and all the rest of it. But by having a form of playbook that you can then take to what's essentially a, a channel partner potentially yes. and have their sales team need minimal training in order to actually communicate the value of this, whether they're doing it as a cross sale, whether they're doing it and going back to partners, whether it is something that had been introduced and it means that that company is going to generate additional revenue and therefore the salesperson additional commissions and all that kind of thing. The incentive is there, but a lot of the time it's like, right, well, how do I actually talk about it? I don't know this thing. I know my product i've you know it's like you were saying earlier i've got an eight out of ten confidence in my product um i kind of got a four out of ten of this product because i don't know what it is but actually right. you can flip it on its head and get the eight or even ten out of ten confidence in being able to you know maybe it shouldn't be that way around i think it should be equal you should have the confidence even if it's a partner so just make sure uh, you know it's 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 sort of seen from that that perspective but that is a beautiful example. And I really, really like that example and the importance and opportunity that is out there. And if you're sitting on something that is incredibly valuable, a service, something that is going to change, you know, whatever it is, something that is going to generally help a lot of people. But the only restriction that you're facing right now is distribution. Have you looked at how you create some form of playbook, messaging playbook? that you could have conversations with people with that distribution and set up that you know, host beneficiary, whatever you want to call it, sort of relationship. There is growth. And that all comes from developing and spending time considering what those messages are and how you communicate it. So I want to move on to the virtual hot seat section of the show. And I am really finding that difficult to do. 
because this is going that you know it's going somewhere where I, I you know I, I think that there is so much as I say opportunity and potential but I think we can actually move some of this conversation into um into this because it's quite a simple one this week and it's come in uh, sometimes are a bit longer than others but this one is nice and nice and simple but it's also I think something that fits in nicely to the conversation that we've been having. Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. It's free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. So, today's virtual hot seat question or challenge has come in, and it is, how do I effectively differentiate my sales consultancy in a very crowded market? First thoughts on hearing that challenge, Jim? This one hits close to home uh, (laughs) because I, and I can draw some recommendations. We're going to make a lot of assumptions. And I know that's the case typically in these virtual hot seats, Uh, but we'll, we'll, hopefully this will be helpful and not just for this person. I think uh, there, there are several lessons um, in any sort of professional services. Well, why I like this one is because it actually does allow us to talk in a little bit more generality, yeah. make some of those assumptions. But I think between us, we've got quite you know enough experience to be able to make the right type of assumptions underneath what is happening with this question. Yes. When you, you shared this with me, there was a little twinge because I've, I've made some mistakes myself and I'm, I'm happy to talk about that as well. Um, and this does uh, hit very close to home, but I do think this is very much a messaging centered issue. When I talked uh, earlier about uh, crickets, commodities, and cowboys, this is the commodity piece, right? We're talking about differentiation and your, uh, your listener viewer is right. It's a crowded market space. And, and when you say something like sales consultant, that means lots of different things to different people. It's very muddy. The, the first thing that comes to mind is sales consultant. You don't want to sound like a salesperson and you don't want to sound like a consultant. So <laughs> you have two things in your title that are working against you. And uh, it's oftentimes people don't want to hire a consultant. Let's just put it put it there. There's not joy. What was the old adage? You know, you hire a, a consultant and they'll steal your watch to tell you their time. Is that the one? That's right. But, <laughs> but you know, I can say, hey, there's value in knowing what time it is. So, Absolutely. However, however, we get there. I um, think I've heard that one before. I was I was I was working with a team. This was a little bit different for me just a couple of months ago with a uh, as a big law firm. They do a, a certain type of legal practice. And I had to remind them that when they're talking to potential clients and to clients that they're not having cocktails at the bar association meeting. You have to get past the language of lawyers and knowing that people t- typically don't want to hire you. They don't understand what you do. They don't like the way that they pay for your services. And, um, and it's just, it's just icky That's a very technical term, but Mm. it's just very icky for them. So, so 
uh, back to the question, how do I differentiate myself? Uh, if, uh, what well, I first do of all, what do you think about the term differentiate? What do you, I mean, we're going to make some assumptions, but when somebody says the word differentiate to you, what do you, what do you think they're talking about? Well, it's, it's a legitimate, uh, very legitimate concern. Uh, what it gets to, so differentiating from our perspective as a seller or as a service provider really means to how I am um, perceived on the other side with a buyer or a potential buyer. What do, what do they compare me to? What do, you, what do you like? What do you solve? What do you do? And so the differentiation is something we do in order to produce the result on the other side. The best result is that you are perceived as solving a relevant, uh, near-term, compelling problem, and you're, if not the only choice, you're the first choice. So I we, know we, we need Adam. That? Can somebody get Adam? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but do you think then that that underneath? So, so I I often try and sort of think between the lines on some of these and some of the, the assumptions we have to make. I think really hearing this question is that the underlying symptom that they're potentially experiencing is either a a lack of sales, a lack of sales conversations, potentially a lack of leads. So they're kind of looking at this, and I actually applaud them for looking at it in, in terms of like a, a differentiator because potentially they have come up with against some of these challenges. It could be, right, okay, well, I can't even get through the door. Or when I do get in the, go in the door, I am... The commodity I am being compared against price, all that kind of thing. Um, so I, I tend to find that it tend, you know, it, it, it is generally in one of those two sort of challenges: is can't get through the door, can't get the attention, and then when I'm in the door, it's like, right, well, how much do you charge? And it's like, well, yes, like I, you know, it, it's it's a very different thing. So, so if you're just seen as a trainer, or you're yeah. seen as a whatever, and and it's not. You find yourself with procurement, or not an economic buyer, or things aren't well um, well scoped and well uh, perceived. Then I, I agree with you. So it's going to be lack of opportunity. There's a mismatch in terms of what you provide and and where you're getting traction. It's it could be low win rates, low margins, uh, long times to a to a deal where it takes so much explanation. Well, let me go back. Let me tell you one more thing, and and so Constantly those are symptoms of that underlying issue. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm gonna. And um, I, I have a few thoughts, um, a few recommendations, again, not knowing the specifics here, but I do mm -hmm. think, Adam, this is an opportunity for one, and I'll, I'll keep it brief here, but it's a compelling learning, I think, for anyone who's a service provider or you're selling a high value offering, typically that will have more than one person on the other side of the, of the buying process. Your buyer, your potential buyer has to answer some questions for themselves. And I find that there are three of them and then they occur in a particular order and poor sellers or, or frustrated sellers get this wrong. Effective ones get this right. So here are the questions. And I will say your buyer is asking themselves these questions, whether they're consciously aware of it or not. The first question is why should I change or consider changing what I'm doing today? So if I've got a problem, what we've tried before hasn't worked or we don't know how to approach it. But that's the, the change piece, the case for change they have to make internally is the first question. The second question is why now? Why should it be a priority? There are lots of good ideas. There are 25 things we'd like to address in the business. What are our top three or four that are compelling? We have a sense of urgency about them. And then and only then it's why you? 
why you versus a named competitor, why you versus us doing it ourselves. That's where the differentiation piece comes in. And so um, what I find is that those sellers, individuals and teams who are really good recognize that's the sequence. They don't get ahead of themselves where people struggle is if they think, oh, I've got to establish my credibility. I've got to differentiate on the front end. That's the first thing I'm going to do is tell people why I'm different, how I'm better, better trained, more experienced, more logos. This is what makes me great when they haven't made the case for change yet. So that they try to do all the credibility statements and the capability stuff. And then that doesn't really work. They're trying to answer the, the why me part. Then they try to promote a sense of urgency and they get frustrated with that. So maybe if we bundle it differently, price it differently, do something like that, we can't get them to change. And then, then they come back to the, the change piece. Well, we have to start educating the market again. Well, the market doesn't need educating. They're not, they don't want that. They want, they want problems solved and they want to get to their opportunities. So with all of that, and I know underlying uh, this is a lot of the things you talk about, Adam. So, so when it comes to differentiation, realize that's at the end of the chain here. Don't start with setting yourself apart. And I think that gets to the first bit of, of advice or recommendation that I would have here, which is make sure you have your ideal client in mind, that mm -hmm. you've, you've got a very clear sense of whom you're serving and when and what you would do for them. And you're associating yourself with a problem. So if you're a sales consultant, you can, you can come with that or you can say, you know, my clients come to me when they're not winning RFPs. Our clients come to me when they're beefing up their sales team and they need uh, people to be productive faster and be able uh, for us to, to uh, pay for them or um, whatever that, that case might be. So you're solving a problem, whether it be revenue growth, whether, you know, you need some specific expertise, whether you're uh, whatever's on your dashboard uh, isn't working. And that answers the why change piece. So it's like, Absolutely. oh yeah, we have that. Our win rates are down. Our time to close is stretching out. We have a new competitor actually come outside of our industry that we don't know how to deal with that, uh, with that company. So that's the first part I would say. What's, and, and what's I'll, interesting I'll there? No, no, no. You, what's in, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's brought up a thought of, of, of mine and, and that is, I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talking about things in this way and is, is that there is, there is always opportunity in transition. That is where opportunity lies because without a transition, people are comfortable and that is the most competitive place to play is comfort. Apathy kicks in. It's like, well, I don't need to change. Why would I need to change? So one of the ways that you can differentiate yourself or at least start the process of considering how to differentiate yourself is to start considering, right, who is my ideal target market, as you've said there, but really looking into not just the things about them, the, dem you know, the, the, the psychographics, the demographics, all the rest of it. What are the transitions in your clients? Like, what are they? As you've said there, we're about to ramp up our sales team. We are, uh, we've, we've just been, we've just lost five RFPs in a row. Like those sorts of things. What are those transitions? It's the things, it's the trigger events. You know, it's like any big change event in life is a transition and there is opportunity in there. Like anything from, um, you know, leaving home for the first time, starting university, getting married, having kids, all the rest of it. That's massive transition. And there is a lot of 
trepidation, nervousness, all that kind of thing that goes with it. But there is also a hope and a positive perception of the future. So that is why the transition, it can't be a negative transition, it has to be a positive one. So can you pinpoint those transitions within your ideal client? Maybe you have to narrow your ideal client a little bit further in order to identify those because they're too broad. But if you want to differentiate yourself and you want to be able to take a message that really confidently says, I'm the guy you come to when whatever said transition occurs, then you're differentiated. That's excellent. And that gets to, it was actually my, the second thought that I had for this person, not sounding like a salesperson, not sounding like a consultant. And I've, I've heard that mantra before. And I think it's very powerful, not necessarily talking about what you do, but when you do it. So do you have, Ooh, are not, you not, dealing? Not, not said it in that way, but I'm going to take it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and so um, oftentimes when, when, if I'm speaking to audiences or working with a client, it's because they've got some big change. And obviously they're pandemic changes, right? So that can, if you're a sales consultant, then um, there are probably a lot of sales teams out there. I've been working with some who need to be able to operate in a more virtual environment um, or, or, you know, pass along their credibility and, and run meetings in a, in a different sort of way. That's very tactical, but really it comes down to um, the change case is going to come when, when you, your potential client uh, is having to deal with a new buyer, or maybe they're integrating an acquisition or territory reassignments, or they have a new type of solution. Or uh, as one I was working with uh, that sells software into banks and banks are having to deal with uh, fintechs and others who come outside of their industry with better technology, better customer experiences. They don't quite know what to do. Their market share is eroding. Um, their ability to generate loan businesses has been a problem. So, so you're solving some problem with a particular buyer, group of buyers uh, that's compelling, and, and you're producing that result for them. So I agree. So when I think identifying who is that ideal client, what's that ideal situation, what's the, the timing, the why now, when something important is changing mm. and they can't do it themselves or they won't do it themselves, they need help. That's I where sort of, yeah, I, I often talk about it in terms of like, if you were meeting or, um, you know, your ideal client was meeting with their best friend, what does that conversation sound like when the best friend says to them, so what's going on in your world? What's going good? What's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they just sort of go, well, this is what we're dealing with. And it's all about, I am trying to get to the next level or, or we are about to go through this big change. It's kind of like, so what's going on? Well, you know, we've been trying to buy this house for, you know, the last 10 months and it's all fallen through three times, blah, 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 blah. Da, 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 da. Whereas if you have placed yourself in your, in that friend's mind, that you have a solution for that kind of thing. It's like, so you're telling me that your house sale has fallen through three times, blah, blah, blah. Right. You need to talk to Bob. Bob's the guy you go to when you cannot keep a chain together. Something like that. I don't know. Well, you're, you're right. And that actually brings me to, there was a third point that I had, had scribbled down when you had talked about this hot seat situation. And I think this applies to a lot of folks is develop a story bank. 
And there's been a lot of focus on storytelling as part of messaging, as part of conversations. And there's good reason for that. What I find is that especially whether in our own experience, so we know the deals we worked on, right? We know the, the customers or the clients that we've served um, across a team, then people are in their own silos, their own experiences. So I might as we mentioned earlier, hey, I finally got the meeting with that financial buyer. Adam, haven't you worked with some VPs of finance? Have we done anything like that before? So it's it, you're, it's trying to handle it tribally. I think use your playbook, use your guide as a way to develop a story bank that handle different use cases, different types of clients or customers that you've served in certain ways. And then you can structure them into bite-sized pieces. How to tell a story uh, comes from there as well. But People do remember those stories, as you were saying. Um, hey, your your house keeps the, the thing keeps falling through, or you're you're frustrated with something. You really need to talk to Adam, and because I remember this time when Adam did so and so and so and so. Or in my case, it was a certain story. People remember stories; they're fun to share, and there is a craft to it that can be part of of what you do. But organizing a story bank for yourself and especially across a team. And I mean, maybe eight or 10 of them, not, it doesn't have to be hundreds. People can't keep that many in mind, but as you're planning your conversations and you know, you're going to have an opportunity, these would be the two or three stories mm -hmm. that might feel relevant and fun and, and worthwhile to share. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, I mean, I remember one of my first jobs um, out of university a while ago now, and um, the managing director of the company, um, I used to hear him on, on calls and it would be the same story he would tell on every single call. And it, it got to the point where I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, Sean, I am so bored of hearing that bloody same story. And yeah. he would kind of laugh at the same bit and they would laugh at the same bit and all the rest of it. And it's just like, I remember saying like, you know, why, why do you tell the same one? He goes, because it's a story I know and that is going to be repeated. And it was so true because then um, a, a while later, I was at a, a meeting when he wasn't in there and the same bloody story was told back to us. <laughs> it was just like, I was like, oh God, not, uh, I don't want to hear that bloody story again. But it, it just sort of shows that so, you, you get so bored of your own stuff before anybody else as well so there's there's an awful lot in there and and this is uh, as as i think i um i was expecting it's it's a really broad question which can have a lot of nuances but ultimately to sort of you know to, to attempt to summarize it from what we've discussed this is a beautiful challenge that has been recognized because it is all around the foundation of a business and it's not on how do i go and do a specific x y and z tactic so the key to differentiation is understanding those three levels that you refer to there. Where are you trying to do it? Also understanding your ideal client, really defining that ideal client, getting into their head, understanding their challenges, their hopes, dreams, fears, frustrations, what's keeping them up at 3 a.m., what are they complaining to their buddy about at the pub and all that kind of thing. And then it's really about understanding, is there a transition that you can sort of place yourself into? And the one thing I think that we didn't necessarily touch on, but I think that it's it's just to sort of sow the seed to do a little bit more thinking around uh, to anyone listening is, what's your offer? And I'm not talking about the service that you provide, but what is your offer? What do you actually deliver as, a, as an outcome or a result? And how do you communicate that? 
Because if you're just communicating based on category of the business that you're in, I am a sales consultant. Like, as you said, don't tell, don't let people know that you're in sales and don't tell them that you're a consultant. Communicate the value and the output, the result that you provide and sort of like work on those areas and elements because that will differentiate you. It's like, hi, yes. how are you? What do you do? I'm a sales consultant. No, thank you. Cheerio. Hey, what do you do? <laughs> well, what we do is we help to streamline sales, um, uh, you know, functional, uh, in functional sales team. And uh, we turn their, um, you know, we, we change their average sales, so improve their average sales cycle from, uh, you know, 12 weeks to, uh, to, to four weeks and improve their um, closing margins by X percent in whenever it is like it's 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 a very different offer and a very different proposition to yes. i'm a sales consultant so i hope that has helped um the sales consultant who we have just i think uh, sort of <laughs> sort of bashed your profession maybe a little bit but um <laughs> i hope you do not take offense because um yeah it's the uh it's a profession that everybody needs in the world because at the end of the day nothing happens until a sale is made and nobody eats and puts bread on the table until somebody buys things so that's just the and, way and it's it's a it's more than a shame if you actually are really valuable if you do produce those results Absolutely. but you're not connecting because the message gets lost if people don't really understand the setting of what you do that's a it's more than a shame it's it's nearly criminal Adam, mm -hmm. to have this, this gap in confidence between what you know you can provide, what you know you can offer, and having confidence in how to talk about it. So uh, get, get comfortable in, in, in this as well. 100%. Well, Jim, this has been great fun. Um, like, yeah, could, could, could go on, 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 on and on and on and on about this. However, I have to respect your time. So where is the best place? Well, first of all, if people listening to this are thinking, yep, yeah, I'm interested in what Jim's been saying, what kind of person is the best to reach out to you and where should they do that first? The, the ways that I work and the, the people whom I serve is mostly on the consulting and advisory side. And the, that tends to be people who own businesses or run business units. They have P&L responsibility. They may be a marketing leader or a sales leader. Um, if, if I'm happy to be a sounding board, ha happy to have a conversation. I should be happy to have a conversation about this because we're having a conversation about conversations. Uh, the easiest way to get to, to find out about me um, is, first of all, I would uh, I'd welcome a connection on LinkedIn. Uh, my last name is uh, K-A-R-R-H. So it's kind of easy to find uh, if you can Sounds get close. Sounds very German, Jim. Uh, well, that's one story that comes <laughs> from my family. There's another that it's Scott Irish. It, um, somebody's wrong. Maybe everybody's wrong. I frankly don't know the uh, the right answer to that. But it's I had uh, to, for anyone listening, I, I had to ask Jim where because it's 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 a funny, obviously a different spelling of car, and I, I thought it was some funny pronunciation, but it is not. It is car. But um, just it's just the, it is my, my branding was given to me at birth, Adam. So it is what it is. Uh, and uh, so I would welcome that connection. Mention that you you heard us here. Yeah, it would be easy for them to, to sort through. Uh, my website is jimcar.com. There are a lot of free resources there, including a one page uh, five step guide to, to managing your growth message. But I, I, I blog, I do a podcast, as you mentioned, called the Manage Your Message podcast. And I would 
genuinely uh, enjoy uh, speaking with uh, your, any audience members. Uh, my book is available uh, wherever books are sold, and there's an audio version as well. If you can stand hearing the author read his own stuff. So all of those things go in. And well, I also, we've, uh, I we've both done that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> whether or not it helps or not i don't know but um i will include <laughs> all of those all of those links in the show notes so you can uh yeah click click through to those um or, or just come back and uh click onto them if you are out and about um and not able to do so but jim this has been an excellent conversation and i am very grateful for you being here and I guess all that's left to say is have an awesome day. And um, I do hope anyone listening goes and connects with you and um, finds out more and just has a, a jolly good conversation with you. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, The Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you and if you have enjoyed the show please make sure you're subscribed you'll get updated as the new episodes come out and finally last favor please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on apple podcasts i read every single one they mean the world for me i love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well so if you want to go and do that i'd really appreciate it but until next time have an awesome day and we'll speak soon